This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Okay, y'all, we have postponed our normal production schedule this week to cover a case that is incredibly relevant to the recent killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others. The fact of the matter is that I've never had to worry about losing my life to a police officer. In my personal experience, police have been there to protect me, and I feel or have felt safer with them around. I've never had to teach my children how to not get shot by a police officer. And I'm incredibly privileged to live that way. But that's the way that every person should live, not just white people. People of color have to teach their children ways to survive encounters with the police. People of color live in fear of coming into contact with police, and rightfully so. This is a case about more than police brutality and even more than police murder with no repercussions at all. This is a case that reveals to everyone the systemic racism that is still alive and well in our society today. One of the biggest tragedies is that this case took place over 20 years ago and nothing has changed. We're going to include links to sites that you can visit that will give you either ideas of ways to take action if you're not sure what you can do, or at the very least get a little more knowledge and research about the subject so that you can take action when you're ready to. Just scroll down below the episode and look in the description. All the links will be there. We can fight this together. We cannot go another 20 years and look back on this time and let it all have been for nothing. So this is episode three of Trial by Media. It's on Netflix if you want to watch it. Um, it is called 41 Shots. Yes, it is. And we typically don't cover documentaries on the main feed anymore. But this one, you know, like we said, it's really relevant. But the documentary was so well done. Um, it had a lot of information and really, really good interviews. So that's why we're doing that. So we start with Katiatu Diallo. She's Amadou's mother. And she's talking about that she used to say she grew up with her son. Like she would say, we grew up together because she was 16 when she had him. And he had told her for a while that he wanted to go to the U.S. because he wanted to have a computer degree. So she applied for him. And when he got his passport, she showed it to him. 
And she said he, his face like lit up. He had the biggest smile. And he said, okay, mom, thank you so much. I'll make you proud. And she said that America was a symbol of hope for Amadou. It was a way for him to achieve greatness. And so tragically, that's not what happened for him. February 4th, 1999, uh, Amadou is arriving back at his home in the Bronx in New York. Okay, and what you're about to hear is a clip from the documentary. It is a reenactment, but it is so powerful because to hear the term 41 shots is still incredibly egregious and horrific, but to hear what it probably sounded like It sounds like a war zone. It doesn't sound like one person standing there unarmed. One person. This sounds like 15 people in a shootout. It's horrific. Tonight, a man who was not armed is dead. As autopsy results provide a tale of devastating police force. The accused are four police officers, all of them white, and the victim was a black man who, it turns out, had no weapon and committed no crime. The incident in New York City has heightened racial tensions and led to weeks of protest. This was not a police murder. This was a police slaughter. A grieving mother determined that her son would not be reduced to four simple words, African immigrant street vendor. Katie Atu says that before they came to the U.S., they viewed it differently. The news said that racial tensions have arisen. And in New York in the 90s, it was a major issue. Jeffrey Tubin, a staff writer for the New York Times, said that people cast their vote and among the candidates were, and this is for mayor, was either Rudy Giuliani or David Dinkins. So David Dinkins was New York's first black mayor. While he was in office, they said that the crime rates were going down. They said murders were going down, assaults were going down. And Frankie Edosian, a reporter for the New York Post, says He was a hero in some circles. New York City Mayor David Dinkins' plan to create a civilian review board as a watchdog over the police department has city cops in an uproar. So I don't know, like, I don't know everything, obviously, about how law enforcement works, you know? That's definitely something I want to learn more about. But I thought that his proposal of a civilian review board was incredibly interesting mm-hmm. like to me it doesn't make sense for the police to police themselves i think that that's yeah yeah and like there are other very important professions like doctors cosmetology mm-hmm. you know all these other things where you do have another board Looking over you, you have requirements you have to meet, um, mm-hmm. all of those things. So I I thought that was a really interesting idea. And I wonder, again, I'm not I'm not super well versed in politics, but I wonder how could we get something like that? You know, I've you know, I've seen people say that they should be licensed. I like that idea. Um, but I feel like politicians could use that too, because 
it goes higher than police departments and sheriff's departments. Like, yeah. And I think there are a lot of areas career wise that could really be looked at differently and take a different approach. Mm -hmm. Change needs to happen. Yeah, for sure. So Rudy and David are very different politicians. Rudy had a very aggressive approach to law enforcement. Giuliani put 40,000 officers in places where the most crime occurred. And I think they also said where the most crime was expected to occur. So that was interesting to me because I'm like, is it where the most crime did in fact occur or where you expect it to occur? Those two are different. Very. Um, Reverend Al Sharpton, we hear from him a lot uh, in this episode. Civil rights activists said that when Giuliani was elected, the police were in charge. They were emboldened. Crime was down, but at what cost? Then we learn that in the Bronx, police shoot and kill an unarmed man. And it took him 41 shots to do it. I mean, 41 shots is everywhere. Every news story, every, all the coverage of this case, they start out 41 shots, 41 shots, 41 shots. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super powerful because it's the 41 shots is more excessive than anyone needs to be. That is insane. Yeah, it's an ungodly amount of bullets. It's, yeah, totally unnecessary. Frankie said that he learned of the crime and his editor asked him to go to the Bronx to cover it. He said people were milling around, they were in tears, and they couldn't make sense of it, of course. And he said that what they got from the NYPD at the time was that Amadou had come home from work. He was standing in the vestibule of his apartment when the men approached in their unmarked car, he reached into his pocket to bring out his wallet. One or two of them thought it was a gun and opened fire. Amadou Diallo was just 22 years old. He was what they said, um, they said a street peddler from West Africa. He had police in front of him and possibly a locked door behind him, so there was nowhere to go. Adosian said that the media really only cared about talking about the 41 shots. They had no interest in talking about who Amadou was. They just kept referring to him as a street peddler. He wanted to stay on the story and figure out who Amadou was as a person because he was a person. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Miss Diallo says that when Amadou went to America, he left behind everything. He left behind his family, his culture, his privilege there. And she said they had a good life. She asked if he needed anything from her, and he said, just your prayers, because he wanted to make it on his own. And she was proud of him. 
she received a phone call from a relative that lived in New York, and she's like, okay, he maybe he's sick or... He's in the hospital. Worst case scenario, he's in the hospital kind of thing. Um, but she learned that he had been killed. And, and to find that, to hear those words, your initial reaction, I think, would be like, who could have wanted to kill him or what could have happened, you know? And then you hear he was killed by the police. Like, that's a that's hard to take in. Yes. And she said that he had no problems with police ever. Like, there, there was no reason for this to have, ha- you know, like. Yeah, because she knew he was not going to commit any crimes. He was not going to go and do anything violent. Like, he's not going to do anything that warrants quote-unquote, getting into any type of altercation with the police. Mm -mm. No interactions whatsoever. So, yeah, how could that have happened? And she ended up going to America because she wanted to know what happened to her son. Then we kind of get into the investigation on the four officers who shot Amadou. They are Richard Murphy, Sean Carroll, Kenneth Boss, and Edward McMillan. They said they had 23 years collectively on the job and 41 shots collectively from them. Bennett Epstein, their defense attorney, or one of the defense attorneys, said that all you heard 24-7 was 41 shots, and you hear 41 shots and think that the cops were just trigger-happy and depraved killers, but there's two sides to every coin. I'm like, yeah, you're hearing 41 shots because it's fucking obscene. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Okay, so, all right, so he says these were scared cops. And, like, being scared doesn't equal 41 shots. Like, Mm -hmm. that's, I just don't get it. The cops that shot Amadou were part of a unit called the Street Crime Unit, and they were in plain clothes at the time. So, Tubin from, who did he write for? The New York Post. New York Post. Said that the unit was sort of the perfect illustration of the Giuliani like philosophy in action. So they're in plain clothes, they're in an unmarked car, and that way you wouldn't know that they were police until they stopped you. And Frankie said if you were a black or brown person, they could say anything to you or do anything to you in the name of quote unquote protecting you. A news story said that minority residents of New York complained that police engaged in systematic policy of harassment against young black males, and they took particular aim at the NYPD street crime unit. Amy Waldman, reporter for the New York Times, said that she was most interested in why the police even approached Amadou in the first place. Like, he was at his own home. Yeah, what were they looking for? Why did they even go and talk to him? Well, they didn't talk to him, but why did they even go near him? What about him drew their attention? Why did they single him out? Right. She said it ultimately goes back to their training. They're not trained for the possibility of innocence. Isn't that what the justice system is supposed to be founded on? Yes. Innocent (laughs) until proven guilty. I... And we get into this even more a little later. Yeah. It's hard to find words. How could you not be... How could you not be trained for the possibility of innocence? How does that thought never cross your mind? You just straight up assume that everybody you come across has got a gun and they're going to shoot you? That doesn't make any sense. Mm -mm. 
So at at this point in the case, the four officers involved in the shooting were taken off of street patrol and placed on desk duty. They didn't lose their jobs. They didn't even get on like administrative leave. They were like just still working. And Sean Carroll had been calling in sick. They each retained attorneys when they learned that they could be held criminally responsible for what happened. And Bennett Epstein became Sean Carroll's attorney. And he, Sean Carroll was the one who said he thought he saw the gun first and in turn fired the first gunshots. So Epstein said, We did some background on Mr. Diallo. We had some theories as to why he was peeking in and out of the vestibule, which aroused the officer's suspicion. They happened to be in a high crime minority neighborhood. And they happened to believe that Somebody was confronting them with a gun, and he happened to be black. Galen Kirkland, member of the Civil Rights Coalition, said that New York was a racially segregated city, and it was a city that you could be killed for taking a wrong turn because of racial violence. Under Giuliani, there were other cases involving the use of excessive force by the police. Al Sharpton was the man who was going to speak for Amadou Diallo and his family in the community. Sharpton said the media is the way to force those who are reluctant to deal with an issue that they're going to have to deal with it. He was called by an activist in the Bronx from Guinea to talk about Diallo's murder, and the city started protesting the murder immediately. So he flew up there to go kind of lead the charge. This is the second protest in three days in New York City, organized outrage over the police killing of West African immigrant Amadou Diallo. February 9th, 1999, five days after the shooting, Amadou's mom comes to New York. So she was met at the airport by the police who were escorting her and said they were going to take care of her, which that had to have been terrifying, don't you think? Like, well, and I think it seemed like at this point, Katie Atu didn't know right, the state of America or the world in relation to the police and to police brutality and this racial injustice. And I think that, I don't know, it really upset me to hear that they were like, oh, we've got you. Don't worry. We're going to take care of you. Like, okay, does that make what happened okay? (laughs) Like, right. And it's, I mean, it's, it's very clearly it seems to me that what they were trying to do was if we get her on our side, then nobody else will be mad about it because they'll be like, well, she's fine with us. You know, we've got a good relationship with her. She's letting us take care of her. She trusts us, you know, whatever. She's Mm -hmm. not going to ask any questions. Right. Like, I don't think so. She obviously wanted to go see where her son had died and she said they were reluctant but she was like that's that's where we're going she went into his room and she picked up his clothes and she smelled them um and at that point she hadn't seen him in two years and my god i boohooed oh my god i know she was like i just wanted to be close to him yeah 
and his clothes still had a smell on him. I just, oh, I can't imagine. When they left there, they passed Reverend Sharpton. Also, her strength through this to get up at these protests to, you know, during the trial to get up and speak, like, I don't know how she did it without just completely falling apart. Like, it, it's amazing to me mm-hmm. what, like, what you can, like, steal yourself and do just, you know, knowing everything that had happened. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they pass Reverend Sharpton, and she wanted to meet him because she's hearing about him, you know, what he's doing and how he's advocating for her son. And Sharpton said that he was worried that the police were going to use Kediatu against them by giving her, you know, they paid for this fancy suite for her to stay in. They pick her up at the airport. She's got police escort everywhere she goes. You know, all that kind of stuff. So obviously he's like, mm, I don't I feel like they're not telling you the truth, you know? So she asked Al Sharpton to explain to her what was happening in the city. And so he told her about the police brutality. And he said they talked for 45 minutes and she's like, Okay, well, I'm not gonna stay with them anymore. I'm going to go wherever you tell me to go. So Al Sharpton is like, you know, we're, the people are going to take care of her now. We've got this. Like, we're going to put her up and all that stuff. We, we appreciate what the city's trying to do, but we got this. Yeah. Eric Warner, the assistant DA in the Bronx, said that they had to have proper investigations, which meant going to a grand jury. But here, I don't understand this. It said the officers did not testify. They remained silent for over a year after. Don't you have to at a grand jury? Like, because wouldn't you need to get their testimony too? And like, can't you not not testify to grand jury? You would think. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just don't know that. Um, February 11th, 1999, Harlem, New York. Katie Atu speaks out for the first time. Sharpton said that if she stayed under the sponsorship of the mayor, they would have just been labeled as troublemakers. They wouldn't have to face the systemic injustices. Miss Diallo just wanted justice for Amadou, obviously. Something had to change. In the middle of all the protests with Al Sharpton, Miss Diallo went home to bury Amadou. Uh, Frankie did go to Guinea to be present for the burial. And he said it seemed like the whole country was weeping. And Miss Diallo said that she got she got through it with prayers. She said it was hard, but she got through it. But she was determined to let people know who her son was. And Al Sharpton was there as well. And he told her after Amadou was buried that they were going to go back and get those cops indicted. And he was like, I promise you that. And she asked him to keep it peaceful, but do whatever is necessary. Sharpton said that when they got back, they had to really put some pressure on Giuliani. So they're continuing to protest. And at one point, over 180 protesters were arrested, including the former mayor, David Dinkins. He said it was important to him to demonstrate his objection. And it's a pretty powerful scene watching him get arrested at the protest, too. March 25th, 1999, the Bronx, the police were indicted and charged with murder and reckless endangerment. They were temporarily suspended from the police department. I was screaming. Mm-hmm. I was screaming. I'm like, this is this is this results in a temporary suspension. Okay, Dan. 
<laughs> right. Okay, Dan. Like, yeah. all right, that's fine. Okay. We're just going to take them off the desks for a little bit. Yeah. See how it goes. Indicted on fucking murder. Mm-hmm. My God. And Epstein, the defense... I mean, I, okay, he's a defense attorney. Like, I think that we've talked about this before. If you're a defense attorney, you have to really buy what you're selling. Yeah. But fuck this argument. <laughs> yeah, he's like... I thought the charge of murder against the officers was extreme. Like, well, you know what I thought was extreme? Fucking 41 bullets. Uh, it, at an unarmed man that did nothing. He was literally going home. Yeah. I... Yeah. That's... But that's excessive. Okay. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Richard Murphy said he didn't do anything wrong, um, you know, because they're talking to him, like, out somewhere. maybe it's like a press conference type of thing. Yeah. He's like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. And, and you know, we're going to show that I didn't do anything wrong. There was a ton of negative pl- publicity from the point of view of the cops. And Epstein said that it became apparent that a change of venue needed to happen. He said that jurors in the Bronx harbored prejudice against police and it would taint a jury pool. How can the defense say that a murder committed here can't be judged fairly by the people who live here? What do you mean? Like, the people who live here, who live this out every single day, we don't get to have a say in this, I guess? Like, I I get, I get changes of venue, you know, I've seen it happen in some cases, and and for the most part, I understand it. Um, I don't know. I mean, in this age, what does it do? Because everybody hears about everything pretty much. But I don't know. It just... But this change of venue was not for any reason other than to err on the side of the cops only. Like, this, right. was, not, this was not going to make it a fair trial. No, this was just going to be biased towards the white officers. Yeah, because, okay, so Al Sharpton was like, he really tried to fight that. He Mm -hmm. did a lot to try to fight that. But they had Epstein read the first paragraph of the opinion. And it just, it seemed very, well, it was incredibly smug the way he presents this. He's like, oh, I'd love to. Yes, love to read it. I've got a little gift for you here. Why don't you read that? Oh, yeah. He brought it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a gift for you. So it says, the bedrock principle of our justice system is a defendant's right to be presumed innocent until found guilty. The irony. So it's, okay, so innocent until proven guilty. Okay. Once you're a defendant. Right. But even so, that's not the case. But no. But yeah. What what are, yeah. But Amadou had, had no rights there. Yeah, when did anybody 
presume he was innocent until he was found presume guilty. Presume that he was opening his door to go home after he got home from work. Mm-hmm. Like, how did that not enter anybody's possibility? Like, a possibility in anybody's mind. Like, let me think about this. It's late. Um, These are apartments. He's going up to a door. He's getting in his pocket. What do I keep in my pockets whenever I get home from work? A key, maybe? Or is it more likely he's, we're not even here for him. He's not a violent criminal. He's not committed any crime that's been reported. We don't even know who he is. But it's more likely that he's brandishing a gun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Okay. So he says, sorry. The bedrock principle of our justice system is a defendant's right to be presumed innocent until found guilty. At a fair and impartial trial, the pretrial change of venue for the purpose of protecting the right of a fair trial is an extraordinary remedy reserved for the rarest of cases. The case of the four officers accused of murdering Amadou Diallo is that rare case. But it was moved 140 miles away to Albany, New York. So here's the thing. It went from the Bronx, which had a 19% white population, to Albany, which had an 89% white population. And Kediatu was like, that was a slap in the face. It was like moving the trial to a whole different world. And it was because you take, you're taking a trial against four officers who have committed an egregious act of police brutality and you're taking the trial from an area where people overwhelmingly feel unsafe around police and you're moving it to a place where it's like a bubble where people overwhelmingly feel protected by police they they can't in their mind they don't they can't wrap their head around something like that happening unless it was justified you, you, so you're setting up prejudice the opposite direction. Well, and that's the thing. The paragraph that you read of the opinion of the appellate defendant says it needs to be moved for a fair trial. Mm-hmm. Explain to me how this is fair. Right. Yeah. Because it doesn't... Shouldn't the victim have rights, too? Like, what about being fair to the victim? Because once you take, like, it's just very... I mean, obviously, that was a huge blow to the prosecution or to the case in general. But and they said that that's what got the Rodney King officers off. Yeah, they were all acquitted. Yeah, they had a change of venue and they thought that that was probably what really led to that. So even though in the Rodney King case, there was video. Mm hmm. Yeah, it it boggles it. It's horrible. It is. It's horrible. So, January 31st, 2011, months later, the Diallo jury was six Caucasian men, two Caucasian women, and four African-American women. The judge did allow cameras in the courtroom, and Judge, was it Terracy, presided over the trial. I'm not sure. Good morning. People can go ahead and make their opening statement. In the 1990s, in Bronx County, in Albany County, or anywhere else, a human being should have been able to stand in the vestibule of his own home and not be shot to death. Especially when those doing the shooting are police officers sworn to protect innocent people. I have to confess that I'm a little nervous. It's not the cameras. 
The cameras are here today and gone tomorrow. It's the 12 jurors are really the only audience that matters. And you have my client, Sean Carroll's fate in your hands. When these four defendants killed Amadou Diallo in a hail of 41 bullets in the early morning hours of February 4th, 1999. Amadou was just 22 years old. What they are trying to do, the prosecution, is to take a tragic accident and make it a murder. To make it a murder. They made the conscious decision to shoot him. They made the conscious decision to sh shoot a man standing in the confined space of a vestibule that was not much bigger than an elevator. These four defendants intended to kill him. Were therefore guilty of murder. So we've got the opening statements from both the prosecution and the defense. Tubin said that from the moment they knew there was going to be a trial, they knew it was going to come down to one thing, the 41 shots. Warner called Debbie Rivera, a neighbor, to the stand and asked what happened when she returned to the window. So she said she sees four guys. They're walking toward 1157. And it cuts to another neighbor, Ida Vincent, and Warner asked if she heard anyone say anything um, stop right before the shots and she said no thomas bell a neighbor said that he heard a series of shots he demonstrated them by kind of like hammering his hand on the table they called dr cohen to explain how amadou would have died as a result of the wounds he said that mr diallo sustained 19 gunshot wounds the cause of death was multiple gunshot wounds to the trunk with perforations of the aorta spinal cord lungs liver spleen, kidney, and intestine. <sighs> Could you imagine hearing that about your child? Like, because, like, I don't know. I You look at him and, you know, he's older than me. He would have been older than me. But as a mom, I just see a baby, you know? It's like, I, I just, I don't know how she got through this. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Warner said that Amadou had a door behind him, two walls in front of him, and four men pointing 9mm pistols at him. He had absolutely nowhere to go. And that is a depraved indifference to human life. Like, I, yeah, you, how were they scared? There's four of them. There's one of him. He's a small man in stature. He's... And he's totally boxed in. I just, I don't understand. No, I, you don't understand because it's... There's no understanding. No. It. Yeah. Tubin said that after the prosecution stated their case, the bigger issue had become, how was the defense going to justify the 41 shots? I mean, I really didn't think they could. It, it's like, it's... Like, there should be no reason why you, you should be able to do that. No. Al Sharpton said, when you get into the court of law, the public sentiment sets the staging so that the jurors and the justices cannot operate out of context of the racial and criminal justice politics of a country. It became imperative that we kept pounding that to the media and hopefully to the public. So he planned daily protests during this time. Epstein said you could hear the chanting the entire time in the courtroom, and the officer's only hope of appealing to the jury was for them to take the stand and show their remorse. Edward McMillan said that he saw Amadou appear from a vestibule. Sean Carroll said his right side is digging. He's frantically opening, trying to get through that door. He's looking at us. Can, 
Kenneth Boss said, he was crouched. He was down low and he had his hand out. All of the all of them say kind of different stuff too. Not one of like I don't think any of the other ones say he was crouching. You know? One person says he's crouching. The defense attorney said he was peeking in and out of it. I don't think that's what happened. No, I think that the closest thing to what actually seemed to happen, if based off of what we're hearing from the officers, is that he was trying, frantically trying to get through his door. Mm -hmm. So that would mean that he was not aggressively coming at them. Right, trying to get in the door. And you know what may have happened? Because at first I was thinking, well, he's probably like, there's four cops right there. That's kind of freaking me out. But if they were in plain clothes, what he may have been thinking was like, I don't know who these four men are. And they're like very near my door. And it's late at night. Like, I just want to get in the door and get it locked behind me because I don't know who they are. Absolutely. Like, he probably was afraid because... You know, what are they doing around there? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know them. Never seen them around here before. Yeah. Like, but they all, they're all saying different stuff. He's crouching. He's tugging. He's frantically doing this. And Sean Carroll said, I was saying, show me your hands. Show me your hands. And McMillan said, police, don't move. And again, nobody in that apartment complex heard anything. never heard them say that. Yeah. Unless they were whispering, Mm -hmm. which did not happen. Or if they were like, um, just trying to use their eyebrows for communication. Mind-mouthing. Yeah, like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Epstein said that they were showing the jury why what had taken place was reasonable. I don't know how I didn't throw stuff at my TV. I was literally ready to, like, flip my table over. Yeah, the word reasonable does not apply here. No. At all. No. McMillan said, I could see Mr. Diallo turn. He was gripping a black square object, and I thought it was a gun. What shape are guns? I have never heard them be described as a square. Mm-mm. Me either. An L shape, perhaps? Maybe. Some of them. Um, A long, not even rectangular, just like a long, You, I don't know. A square? I don't know any guns that are squares. What would be a square, black square object? A wallet? A wallet. Yeah. Not a gun. That's all you have to go on? (laughs) Exactly. It looked like a square, which no guns look like. So I assumed... It was a gun. Reasonably, it was a gun. Okay. Okay, Dan. Okay, Dan. Then Kenneth Boss said, I seen a gun in his hand. And before... Now, who was it they said it was Sean Carroll? Yes. Is that his name? That he's the one who said he saw the gun and he fired the first shots. These other officers didn't see shit Mm-mm. because they immediately started shooting when he began shooting and they all just fucking unloaded mm-hmm. a million times over. So this boss saying I, he, he said, I saw the gun in his hand. That's first of all, not possible because he didn't have one. But second, not possible because... Sean led the charge here. Yeah, he, he's boss the one is not who, the one that made the call. Right. He's the one that thought he saw something. It, I feel, it feels like one of those things that, of course, they are just saying because they need to paint this narrative of what, what they say happened. Mm-hmm. But it's like one of those things where, like, you just, you either start to believe it after the fact or it's a lie you're telling yourself and telling, I don't know. But it's just simply right. not true. It's just yeah. not true. It's not true. Richard Murphy said, not a doubt in my mind that he had a gun. 
McMillan said, I heard Sean yell, he's got a gun. They all said, I fired my weapon. Yeah, Sean, all, I fired my weapon. I fired my weapon. I fired my weapon. Yeah. Sean said that he held his hand and rubbed his face. And he's, you know, crying when he says this. And he said he told Amadou, please don't die. Please don't die. I'm like, are you serious right now? He's like, I only shot you a bajillion times, but you, you're going to pull through. What did you think was going to happen, sir? Well, the, the thing is, he's a mediocre actor in mm. this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Nancy Grace, they're, they're talking about she's working for Court TV at this time, and they're covering the trial. And she is, this is, bef- I think, a, this was kind of before she was uh, angry at the world, I she, would say. Before she became the Nancy Grace that we all know. Right. She's got shorter hair and she's a little bit demure. Yeah, she's like, she's got kind of a small voice and, you know, whatever. But she's talking about it and she says, okay, you see someone reach into their pants and their jacket, they're cops. They assume he's reaching for a gun. I couldn't tell what was going on. My buddies were firing. I thought he had a gun. I regret it. I would change it if I could. You know, these are all what they're expressing on the stand. And she says, if that reaches just one juror, hung jury. That's a hell of a pronunciation. It is. For juror. That was like 7,000 syllables. We wanted to tell you about a special organization this week. It's not a sponsor. uh, Rather, we're sponsoring them, I guess, or highlighting them this week. In light of the recent events, the protesting, the surge in the Black Lives Matter movement, we have done a lot of research. And one of the organizations that we are really highlighting this week is the ACLU. They have got so many resources on their website, and it actually helped me to get a letter written to my state representative uh, here in Tennessee to end the Qualified Immunity Act. So we just wanted to encourage you to check out the website. It's aclu.org and make a donation, um, which we're doing as well. You can also, though, there's other options than make a donation. They have lots of different things that you can do. They have so many resources and all different kinds of very specific actions. There's tons of stuff on the website. Um, I will definitely put a link to it below. And you can donate, you can write letters, you can make phone calls, you can do all kinds of things. You can share on social media. There's so many things that you can do. So we really, really encourage you to check it out. Amy Waldman said the defense was very good at leading them to this display of emotion and showing remorse. They were playing to the cameras. They wanted to perform because obviously they're painting their own picture. It's what they do. Miss Diallo said that those were really hard weeks and she said her son was being tried. He was not alive and he had no one speaking up for him and the prosecution didn't even speak about who he was at all. I just don't, I do not understand that. I don't either. And she said she finally got up and walked out. And she said they kept saying he was suspicious. And she's like, how can you suspect someone standing in front of their own front door to their home? It's not like he's not supposed to be there. Right. He had every right to be there. Yeah. 
you know, if, didn't really have a right to be there. Those four men. Yeah, exactly. Like, him. yeah, it. You can suspect somebody standing in front of a home if I'm like, you know, if I go over to your house and I'm lurking around, maybe like he lived there. Of mm-hmm. course, he's going to stand in front of it. God, it's so annoying. So, so she's walked out of the of the trial. And she said that a supporter ran up behind her and said, Miss Diallo, please be strong. You're standing for us, too. Don't let go. Don't give up. February 25th, 2000, Miss Diallo was called back to the courtroom. Warner said that it was a Friday and they had learned that the jury had reached a verdict. Miss Diallo said she went back in, sat on a bench between her two brothers, hand in hand. With respect to defendant Kenneth Boss, what was your verdict? Reference to the charge of murder in the second degree under the first capital indictment. Not guilty. Members of the jury, quiet, please. With respect to defendant Edward McMillan, what was your verdict in reference to the charge of murder in the second degree under the first count of the indictment? Not guilty. What was your verdict in reference to the charge of reckless endangerment in the first degree under the third count of the indictment? Not guilty. What was your verdict in reference to the charge of reckless endangerment in the first degree under the third count of the indictment? Not guilty. Acquitted. Not guilty. I, this is the first time that I had heard of the Amadou Diallo case. Outraged is not a good enough word. And honestly, like, I'm, I'm glad that people have been charged in George Floyd's murder. I worry about acquittal. I hope that we're past that. (laughs) But after seeing all of this, you know, everything that led up to this, how absolutely egregious what happened to Amadou was and there's no explanation for it there's nothing that can explain that or justify it and they all got acquitted that's that's terrifying it is said it was such a gut punch a massive 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 disappointment and Al Sharpton said they were outraged Miss Diallo said that she'll never forget those tears on her cheeks she said it was saying to me Your child has caused his own death. And in the end, it wasn't about Amadou. She said the legacy she wanted for Amadou was a legacy of unity and justice for all. The legacy I wanted for Amadou was a legacy of unity and justice for all. It's in the name of Amadou and his spirit that I ask for your calm and prayers. As we go on for the quest of justice, life equality. I thank you all. Okay. So obviously everybody wants to know why this happened. And at first the jurors said they didn't want to speak about the verdict, but in the face of mounting questions, they changed their minds. I understand how they feel. Believe me, I understand. And I have a, a 16-year-old son, so I really understand. But again, I have to take it back to the district attorney's office. They didn't give me anything. I guess I don't know 100% how I feel about that. But in this instance, I'm like, they shouldn't be allowed to not explain why they came to their conclusion. I I mean, I don't know. Like, 
I'd probably have to read a lot of books or something to figure out which way I feel about that for sure or like how it should be, but I don't know. It's like if you're going to if you're going to make a decision about somebody's entire life like that, shouldn't shouldn't we know why? But in this case, I feel like in a lot of cases, I mean, I wanted to cuz when they said this in in this, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, tell me why. But the answer didn't work for me. <laughs> I was like, nope, still not not good enough. No. Absolutely not good enough. They didn't give me anything. What else do you need? Yeah. Yeah, what else do you need? But Sharpton said the prosecution just put up a basic case and then let the defense do whatever they wanted and that they never tried to humanize Amadou. He said he became a mistaken particle of police fear rather than a human being that lost his life in future. And they never even put his mother on the stand. She should have been the first witness they called. Tell that's that's standard in every case we've ever covered. When you when you see a trial, the the victim's parent is the first person that comes on the stand because they give you all the context about the person. They tell you who they were. They tell you what their hopes and dreams were. They tell you what kind of person they were. You know, the the officers got to make the case for themselves. They got to humanize themselves because they're alive and were able to do it. Amadou was not able to do that for himself because they robbed him of his life. Yeah. So why would you not call family members and close friends so that they can speak on Amadou's character, say what kind of person he was? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. No. Warner said... And this is the prosecutor. Pure emotion is supposed to be kept out of a trial if it's offered just for its prejudicial effect. Mrs. Diallo's unbelievable grief in a trial, it isn't relevant. That pissed me off so bad. That pissed me off really bad because at first I was thinking like, okay, at least he's, at least he's prosecuting this case and, you know, but it doesn't seem like he really tried to prosecute the case. And he doesn't get choked up talking about her grief, but he gets choked up saying, like, I don't have any regrets and I just did. I put on the best case I could. I presented what I could. Like, I'm not sure what is emotionally affecting him in that moment, but it doesn't feel like it has anything to do with the people involved in this case, like the victim and his family. Yeah. It was just this. The whole thing wasn't about Amadou. And that's that's the saddest thing. Yeah, it is. It's very sad. Um, Adosian put it very well. At its core, racism is about fear. Oftentimes, there are people in our city and in our world and in our country who don't see us as fully formed human beings. I don't know how you can prove racism in a court of law, but did we need to prove that to get justice for someone who was standing in his doorway and was shot at 41 times? And so this justification for fear 
of the black man in the corner continues today. As a journalist, I want people to remember Amadou and so many other men who have been cut down in their prime by police bullets. We have to keep telling these stories. That was, that struck me too, that like, that anybody could look at another human being and not view them as such. I don't understand that sentiment. And that's like, that's like the work that we have to do. Part of the work that we have to do is to make that not so. Because it just, again, it just doesn't doesn't make any sense. Mm -mm. July 25th, 2019, the Bronx. Mrs. Diallo says that she wants the world to know there was this young man named Amadou who wanted to come to the U.S. to succeed, and he never got the chance. She speaks about him in schools. She shares his story. She said she'll never stop talking. That's her mission. Um, It made me so sad, too, to think that, like, he viewed America as this, you know, land of opportunity, which so many people do, and that he was he was murdered for coming home. I mean, I just it's so sad. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. The end of the documentary, um, or end of the this episode, um, it ends with on screen text. The street crime unit was disbanded in 2002 after a federal investigation prompted by the shooting of Amadou Diallo found that the unit engaged in racial profiling. After the verdict, Edward McMillan and Richard Murphy joined the New York City Fire Department. Sean Carroll and Kenneth Boss returned to the police department and have since retired. In 2004, the Diallo family settled a civil suit with, the U- with New York City for $3 million. Kediatu Diallo started the Amadou Diallo Foundation, which provides community outreach and scholarships for students aspiring to higher education. She continues to speak out and advocate on behalf of families impacted by police-related violence. Does she live here now? It seems like she does to me. Yeah, I think so too. I just wasn't 100% sure. Um, so we have got, again, um, we've got some links below here um and you can find it in our post on social media too if you didn't already read the post about kind of explaining why all lives matter is a slap in the face check it out and get our hands dirty get our education on yeah make some changes yes and uh we love you guys and we'll see you next week bye bye We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye! The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 